The Bible tells us that it's the goodness of God that leads us to repentance. Book of Romans, the second chapter. And having understood that goodness, we realize that we deserve death, but he gives us life. And for that, we are grateful. We're looking at the church one year later. And really, it's not just one year later. It's a century later. What 2020 did was reveal to us the condition of the church in America. And Western evangelicalism is in great distress. My concern has always been the church. It's never been the culture that the church lives in, but the church and how it affects the culture in which it exists. My concern has never been the political demise of our country, as bad as it may be, not even the moral decay of our culture, as bad as it may be. My concern has always been the spiritual decline of the church. And that decline has been happening for centuries. It's just become more and more relevant and seen in the last year. And so we're looking at that to try to help you understand where the church is and what our responsibility is as a church that lives in this culture. In 1888, Charles Spurgeon said these words. He said, everywhere there is apathy. Speaking of the church, by the way, everywhere there is apathy. Nobody cares whether that which is preached is true or false. A sermon is a sermon, whatever the subject, only the shorter, the better. That's how Charles Spurgeon characterized the church in 1888. I wonder if he was alive today how you would characterize the church. John MacArthur wrote a book called Ashamed of the Gospel. He wrote it 100 years after the death of Charles Spurgeon. That book, Ashamed of the Gospel, how the, how the world has affected and infiltrated the church is a book you should have in your library. I've had the opportunity this past week to read that book as well as another one I'll talk to you about here in a moment that has been very, very prophetic. The book was written 28 years ago. 28 years ago, John wrote this book. And you'd think that he wrote it today based on all the things that he saw happening in the church. He was concerned as Charles Spurgeon was a hundred years before, about the spiritual decline and demise of the church. And Charles Spurgeon was ingrained in what is called the downgrade controversy. It was a church on a fast downgrade from the truth of the gospel. He saw it coming, preached against it, and fought against it for four years until he died. He truly believed that it was that battle that caused his ultimate death. Whether that's true or not, no one really knows, but 
all death is a divine appointment. And he realized that the church 130 years ago was becoming just like the world. And I wonder, I wonder what he would say about the church today. His concern was how the church in his day was mirroring the world of its day. And we told you before, if you, if you mirror the world, you'll never minister to the world. If you reflect the world, you'll never reach the world. In fact, the only way, i got to be careful how I say this, to reach the world is to be hated by the world. God wanted from the very beginning to make sure that Israel was nothing like the world. Israel was to be a light of revelation to the Gentiles. And so God says these words in the book of Leviticus, chapter 18, verse number 1. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the sons of Israel, and say to them, I am the Lord your God. So God always begins with, because of who I am, this is what you do. Because you see me as the Lord of the universe, the God of the world, your Lord, your God. You shall not do what is done in the land of Egypt, where you lived. Nor are you to do what is done in the land of Canaan, where I am bringing you. You shall not walk in their statutes. You are to perform my judgments and keep my statutes to live in accord with them. I am the Lord your God, so you shall keep my statutes and my judgments, by which a man may live if he does them. I am the Lord. He makes it very clear that because I am your God, I don't want you to live like those in Egypt where you lived before, and I surely don't want you to live like those in Canaan where I'm going to bring you. God makes it very clear that his people are to live so uniquely and distinctly different than the world that he commands them to keep his judgments and his statutes. Israel did not. Israel had dietary laws, civil laws, moral laws that made them completely different than everybody around them. God says, I want you to dress differently. I want you to eat differently. I want you to be so different that they'll never mistake you for being like them. But Israel could not resist the temptation around them. And the Old Testament is about how God is calling them to repentance and calling them to be restored and calling them to rest in his sovereignty that they might enjoy the blessings that he wants to give them. He sends them judges. He sends them kings. He sends them prophets. But they would not listen. Jesus says these words in John 15. 
If the world hates you, you know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, because of this, the world hates you. If the church is not hated by the world, it will not reach the world. But the church spends all of its money, all of its efforts, trying to be just like the world. And the Lord makes it very clear. James chapter 4. Verse number 4. If you are a friend of the world, you are an enemy of God. How can the church be a friend of the world and be a friend of God? They cannot be. It doesn't mean you don't love the people of the world. It doesn't mean you're not kind to the people of the world. You are. But because of your commitment to a higher authority, the King of kings and Lord of lords, your devotion to him, that's what truly, really matters. John said, if you love the world, the love of the Father is not in you. 1 John 2, verse number 15. That should make it very clear to us that as a church, if the world loves us, we are one of its own. But if the world hates us, we are on the right track of being just like Christ because the world hated Christ. You know, we live in a world where I drove by a church the other day and it said these words, our church building is closed, but our hearts are open. I have no idea what that means. I can't even begin to compute what that means. We're over a year into this thing and their church is still closed. But their hearts are open. How does that reach the world? So the world will drive by that church. You know what the world will say? That church is so kind and so good. They're so concerned about our health and their health that they won't even open. That's a great church. And they'll drive by a church where the parking lot is full and people are in. What would they say? Those people, they're super spreaders. They want to spread the virus everywhere. They don't care about anybody but themselves. That's what they'll say. And yet, what is true? There are churches today that are still taking reservations to attend the church. You have to actually have a reservation to go to the church. How is it that that church 
is able to go into the highways and byways and compel people to come in. They can go to them and say, listen, we want you to come, but you know, you can't come now because you gotta make a reservation and so therefore we're not really open for you to come, but we'll go instead and maybe one day we'll open it up for you to come. I don't understand that. I can't even begin to grasp that. When Kristen Roberson went home to be with the Lord not too long ago, and we had a memorial service here at the church right in the midst of the COVID crisis, people would call and say, are we able to come to the memorial service? We said, yeah, come. Well, don't you have a limit on the people who can come? No, no limit. You mean anybody can come? Yeah, anybody can come. When we come, do we have to wear a mask? No, not at all. Just come. When we come, do we have to social distance? No, just come. Because we know that a memorial service is a great way to spread the gospel to people. Help them understand the truth of, the, of life and death. And we want them to come. We don't want to ever turn anybody away from coming to church. We want them to be a part of the church, hear the gospel, give their lives to Christ. But that's all just kind of surfacey things, external things that truly deal with the inward part of a man. And Paul expressed it well in 2 Corinthians 11.3, which is our keynote verse for this little short series. Well, I think it's going to be short. I'm hoping it's going to be short. We'll see. I am afraid that as a serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, your minds will be led astray from the simplicity and purity of devotion to Christ. That's the concern. That the church becomes deceived. Because Satan is very deceptive. He's very crafty. And that's why Paul said we're not ignorant of Satan's devices. Because he knows how Satan works. And he didn't want the church at Corinth to be led astray from the simplicity and purity and devotion to the Christ. He wanted them to stay true to the Lord and never to depart from his word. When MacArthur wrote his book, Ashamed of the Gospel, 28 years ago, it was very prophetic in terms of the situation today. This past week, Vody Bauckham came out with a book called Fault Lines. In the book, it's about how the social justice movement and evangelicalism and its looming catastrophe. And the whole book that came out this week is an extension, not by purpose, of where the church is further going down the pathway to its demise. He's concerned about how the church is so enamored with social justice and the racial divide of our country, how it's so concerned about intersectionality and so concerned about all those things that are happening in the culture, in the community, that the church has lost its focus and is slowly but surely deteriorating from the inside out. Great book. 
need to understand it. He's a black man who says in his book that America is the least racist country in the world. He's a black man that doesn't believe in systemic racism. He thinks it's a fallacy. And he preaches the truth. He just had quadruple bypass surgery last week. But he preaches the truth of the gospel. See, we are not here to restore America. We're not here to reclaim America. We are not here to revive America. We are here to reconcile those who live in America to the true and living God. And the only way we do that is through the preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ our Lord. But Satan is so deceptive. He creeps into the church. He gets the church off focus as to its primary mission. And all of a sudden the church finds itself on the downgrade away from the purity and devotion it should have to Christ. That should be our concern. That should always be our concern. So a few weeks ago, we began with the outline that's on the screen behind me, helping you to understand the church one year later and how it's given us a clear perspective on the condition of the church. Helping you understand that point number one, that the church's perception of God has diminished greatly. It has. No longer do we hold God in high esteem. Let me give you an example. Isaiah chapter 6 says in verse number one, in the year of King Uzziah's death. Now why that would be written there. Nobody really cares except for Uzziah's wife. But in the year of King Uzziah's death, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, lofty and exalted, with the train of his robe filling the temple. Seraphim stood above him, each having six wings. With two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called out to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the thresholds trembled at the voice of him who called out while the temple was filling with the smoke. Then I said, woe is me, for I am ruined, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. When you read that and you realize what took place in Isaiah's life, is what should happen in the life of every one of us when we attend a worship service. Our response should be, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God of hosts. And I am a man, a woman of unclean lips. And I dwell among a people with unclean lips. In other words, he uses that because the lips are the very first indicator of the condition of the heart. For out of the abundance of the heart, Christ says, 
the mouth speaks. So what's on the inside eventually comes out through the mouth gate so all can hear. You see, we go to church and we think that we should go to church and be happy. If God wanted you to be happy, he'd have given you the happy spirit. But he wants you to be holy, so he gave you the holy spirit. But we want to go to church feeling good when we leave. Isaiah didn't feel good when he saw the Lord high and lifted up. He saw the holiness of God. And when you see the holiness of God, you see what? The sinfulness of man. If you come to church and you don't see the wretchedness of your soul, the sinfulness of your heart, you're in the wrong church. When you come to church, you should see how dirty you are and the God who can cleanse you from all your sin. The God through his grace and mercy will redeem your soul and make you clean through his word, John 15. And that's what God does. But if God is properly seen among his people, then their people see their sin and they truly want to repent. That's the way Isaiah was. That's the way we should be. That's why we open up the word of God to you that you might see who he is. But the church, because it does not open the word, just because, just because on Sunday mornings, Joel Osteen gets up and holds his Bible and says, this is my Bible. I am what it says I am. I can do what it says I can do. Today I will be taught by the word of God. I boldly confess. My mind is alert. My heart is receptive. I will never be the same. I am about to receive the incorruptible, indestructible, ever-living seed of the word of God. I will never be the same. Never, never, never. I will never be the same. In Jesus' name, amen. And then he shuts his Bible and never talks about sin. He shuts his Bible and never talks about the condition of man. And now man is accountable to the judgments and the law of the holy God that if he does not repent of his sin, he will never be saved. The statement is true, but he never does it. He doesn't use the incorruptible, indestructible seed to penetrate the hearts of sinful man. He tells stories. And smiles as he tells them about his father and the way things should be. He tells you about how you can have your best life now. And yet Jesus says, if the world loves you, you're of the world. If the world hates you, be of good cheer. It hated me as well. If the men on the road to Emmaus, as we saw last week, were unable to see God in all of his glory and splendor, having been with him for three years, having heard him preach, but became very selective in what they heard and what they saw, so much so that God would say they were senseless, right? And they were slow of heart. If men who were with Jesus, could have a misperception of the living God while in his presence, 
how easy it is for the evangelical church today who have pastors that never open the Bible, never take people through the Scriptures, never tell them what the Word of the Lord says, how easy it is for them not to perceive God properly. We have a misperception of God, so much so that our perception of God has diminished greatly. If you don't see Him for who He is, you will never truly see yourself for who you are. So important for us to grasp, grasp that. Not only is our perception of God diminished, that would lead to number two, our adoration of God depreciates. And it has. You can't worship the God you don't know. You can only worship the God you do know. If your perception of him is diminished, your adoration of God will truly depreciate. Which leads to point number three, your devotion to God truly will be disestablished, disconnected. Because once you were devoted, and now you are no longer devoted to him as you once were. Which leads to point number four, your anticipation of God will be diluted. It will decrease. No longer will you be anticipating his return because you really don't know anything about the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And because you don't know him very well, you're not really looking for him to come or even wanting him to come. Therefore, your proclamation of God will be despiritualized. In other words, no longer will you be preaching the true gospel. You'll be preaching things that people want to hear. Smooth words, flattering words, talking about social justice kinds of issues, political kinds of issues, to get people off of God's word and into the culture. Which leads to the foundation of the church deteriorating. And it has. Because we teach people to build on sand, not on rock, the solid rock. And when the storms of, of COVID come, the house that's built on a sand will never stand. But the house that's built on a rock will always stand strong and not falter. So why is all this? How does all this happen? You know the answer. And when you see it, you're going to like, oh, yeah, I know that. But do you really? And that's point number seven. It's on the screen. The revelation of God. The revelation of God is disregarded, devalued, dishonored, and degraded among its people. That's why. The revelation of God is held in such low esteem. We don't value the preaching of the word. We value other things above that as more important than that. But the highest point of worship 
the highest point of a church is when the revelation of God is opened and honored and held in high esteem and held hold people accountable to it. I think it was 20 years ago, we wrote a little pamphlet called How to Choose a Church. And the very first point of the booklet was to choose a church where the word of God is paramount. The question, how does you know the word of God is paramount? The people in Joel Olstein's church, when they all hold their Bible up, they would all say the word of God is paramount, but it's not preached. It's not taught. So how do you know that the word of God is paramount? Simply because the people of the church are supremely devoted to the word of God. Not only are they devoted to the Word of God, they are completely dependent upon the Word of God. So much so that that Word is desired among all who are there. They desire the Word of God more than their necessary food. Not only do they desire the Word of God, they truly declare that Word without compromise. Because they know it's the solution to man's need. We wrote that booklet because we wanted people to understand that when you choose a church, you got to choose a church for the right reasons. So many times we choose churches for the wrong, wrong reasons. But what does God say in his word? God's word is to be held in such high esteem because the truth is much too difficult for this culture to grasp. They can't handle the truth. They don't want the truth. But the church is to proclaim that truth, the revelation of God. 130 years ago, Robert Schindler, who was a pastor and a great friend of Charles Spurgeon, said these words when asked, how did so many Bible-believing churches go astray? That question was asked 130 years ago. How is it? that Bible-believing churches go astray. He said, in the case of every errant course, there is always a first wrong step. If we can trace the wrong step, we may be able to avoid it and its results. Where then is the point of divergence from the king's highway of truth? What is the first step astray? This is his answer. The first step astray is a want of adequate faith in the divine inspiration of the sacred scriptures. All the while a man bows to the authority of God's word, he will not entertain any sentiment contrary to its teaching. 
To the law and to the testimony is his appeal concerning every doctrine. He esteems that holy book concerning all things to be right, and therefore he hates every false way. But let a man question or entertain low views of the inspiration and authority of the Bible, and he is without chart to guide him and without an anchor to hold him. In looking carefully over the history of the times and the movement of our times, of which we have written briefly, this fact is apparent, that where ministers in Christian churches have held fast to the truth that the Holy Scriptures have been given by God as an authoritative and infallible rule of faith and practice, they have never wandered very seriously out of the right way. But when, on the other hand, reason has been exalted above revelation and made the exponent of revelation all kinds of errors and mischiefs have been the result. He knew that whenever God's holy revelation is not held to the highest esteem, the church begins to go astray. One of the men, Reverend Joe Borton, who was not a necessarily friend of Robert Schindler, had tendencies toward liberal theology, knew the downfall of liberal theology. Listen to what he says. I have long since found that when ministers entertain their people with lively and pretty things, confine themselves to general harangues, insist principally on moral duties without enforcing them warmly and affectionately by evangelical motives, while they neglect the peculiars of the gospel, never or seldom display the grace of God and the love of Christ in our redemption, the necessity of regeneration and sanctification by a constant dependence on the Holy Spirit of God for assistance and strength in the duties of the Christian life, their congregations are in a wretched state some or even dwindling to nothing. There is a fatal deadness spread over the congregation. They run in the course of this world, follow every fashionable folly in family, and personal godliness seems in general to be lost among them. There is scarcely any appearance of life and zeal. So here is a man who knew very clearly 130 years ago the demise of the church. If time permits, I'm going to take you 2,700 years ago to show you that the same path has always been there. And those who move away from God all journey down the same path. The revelation of God is everything. It is the truth of Almighty God. And when it is dishonored, it will be degraded and blasphemed among the people. It must be held in the highest esteem preached and taught in every facet of the church. People being held, held accountable to that standard. Why? 
Because that is the only standard by which we hold people accountable. Listen to what Jesus said in John chapter 12. He said, he who rejects me and does not receive my sayings has one who judges him. The word I spoke is what will judge him at the last day. These words are the words that will judge every man on the last day. So we've got to make sure that people understand the word of the gospel, the truth that God has said. So when they stand before the true and living God, they'll never say, Christ Community Church never told me that. My husband never told me that. My family never told me that. Because we would have declared that truth held people accountable to that truth, that they might follow that truth. So, where is the church that buys truth and never sells it? Remember we talked about this? Where is the truth or the church that buys the truth and never sells it? That is so sold out on the truth, they will never compromise it. They understand what it means to take up their cross and follow the Lord. And they're willing to give everything for the sake of the gospel. Buy truth and never sell it. Up in Canada, we've talked about Pastor James Coates and and what it took place with him when he was arrested and he was let go. But but this past week, they put three fences around his church. Three fences around his church so people can't get in to worship the Lord. Do you think that's going to stop them from worshiping the Lord? Absolutely not. Why? Because they've bought truth and they will not sell it. That's why. They're not going to kowtow to a liberal government that's held accountable to the same truth they're held accountable to. They're not going to revolt. They're going to reveal the true God to a people that have already revolted against God. Very important to understand that. If the church doesn't represent God, who will? No one will. The church is the pillar and foundation of the truth. We must hold it in high esteem. Where is the church that will buy truth and not sell it? Where is the, truth, the church that will battle for truth, that will contend earnestly for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints, that will be as Paul told Timothy, oh, Timothy, guard the truth, protect the truth, guard the treasure, Timothy. Do all you can to battle for one thing, the truth of Almighty God. Where is the church that will buy truth? Where is the church that will battle only for the truth? Where is the church that will bow before the truth and nothing else? Because Psalm 138, verse number two says, thy word, O Lord, is magnified even as thy very name. And one day every knee will bow at the name of Jesus Christ our Lord And God's word is as high as his name. Where is the church that bows before the truth, that battles for the truth, that buys only the truth and never sells it? 
Where is the church that builds only on the truth? Paul says to those in, in the church of Ephesus, I commend you to God and the word of his grace that is able to build you up. There's one thing that builds the church. It's the word of the living God. The church is built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. And Paul says in Acts chapter 20, I ceased not to declare to you the whole counsel of God. I wanted you to understand everything that God said. Because if you know that, you can build on solid ground. You can build on the foundation that God himself has given. Where is the church that buys truth, battles for truth, bows only to truth, builds on the truth, believes the truth? Believes the truth. He who comes to God must believe that he is and that he's the rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Where is the church that believes the truth that Jesus is the only way, there is no other way. That the only way to gain access to the Father is through the Son. There's one mediator between God and man. That's the man, Christ Jesus. Where's the church that believes the truth? Where's the church that boasts in the truth? Where's that church? God says to Jeremiah in Jeremiah 9, let not the wise man boast in his wisdom or the mighty man boast in his might or the rich man boast in his riches. But let him that boasts, boast in this, that he understands and knows me that I am the Lord God of Israel. And Paul twice would quote Jeremiah 9 to the Corinthians. You say, well, doesn't that sound a little arrogant to boast in the truth? No. Because the Hebrew word translated means to glory in. And the word for glory in the Hebrew means to be heavy, to be weighed down. And a man who was heavy in riches was weighed down by those riches. That's what he was known for. A man who was heavy because of his strength and might was known for that. God says, I want you to be known for something. I want you to be weighed down with something. I want you to be heavy with something. I want you to be so heavy that you are weighted down with knowing me. That's what makes the difference. I want you to be spiritually fat, so spiritually heavy, you are weighed down with the knowledge of God. Where's the church that boasts only in the truth? Where is the church that behaves according to the truth? James would say, be ye doers of the word and not hearers only. He says very clearly, James 1, verse 22, 
but prove yourselves doers of the word and not merely hearers who delude themselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word, not a, not a doer, he is like a man who looks at his natural face in a mirror. For once he has looked at himself and gone away, he has immediately forgotten what kind of person he was. But one who looks intently at the perfect law, the law of liberty, and abides by it, not having become a forgetful hearer, but an effectual doer, this man will be blessed in what he does. This is the blessed man. He does what he does because of who God is. He's a doer of the word. And then he gives three specific illustrations on what it means to be a doer of the word. Here it is. If anyone thinks himself to be religious and yet does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his own heart, this man's religion is worthless, pure and undefiled religion. In the sight of our God and Father is this, to visit the orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself unstained by the world. He says, you want to be a doer of the word? Number one, control your tongue. Number two, be concerned for those who are needy because widows and orphans were those among Israel who were the most needy people there was. Be concerned for the needy. Control your tongue and be cleansed from the things of the world. Keep yourself unspotted from the things of the world. You want to be doer of the word? You want to behave according to the truth? That's how you do it. Where is the church that buys only the truth, battles only for the truth, bows only before the truth, builds only on the truth, believes only the truth, boasts only in the truth, and behaves according to the truth? Next, where is the church that burns with and for the truth. Where's that church? Remember the men last week on the road to Emmaus? Did not our hearts burn within us? Not because we saw the resurrected Christ, but because this traveler on the road explained the word of God to us. And as the word of God was explained, our hearts were set ablaze. Where's the church? whose hearts burn with and for the truth of Almighty God. What sets the church ablaze? What makes the church a fireball? God's word. Is not my word like a fire? Where is the church that never backs down from the truth. Why? Because without the revelation of that truth, man will perish. Proverbs 29, 18. Without the revelation of God, people will perish. We never back down from the truth. Never compromise the truth. Never shy away from the truth. Never get down on the downgrade away from the truth of the gospel. Never back down. But be strong and courageous. Where is a church that is bold only because of truth? Bold and strong 
That's the church that will be blessed because of the truth. You got all these bees? They're all buzzing around your head. They're all bees. Where's the church that will be blessed because of the truth? Without a revelation, people perish. But blessed is he who keeps the law. That's a church that's blessed because of the truth. Listen carefully. The church that bows only before the truth, that battles only for the truth, buys only the truth, builds on the truth, believes the truth, boasts in the truth, behaves according to the truth, burns with and for the truth, never backs away from the truth, is blessed because of the truth, listen carefully, will now be berated because of the truth. You'll be berated by the world. They will come against you because the world cannot handle the truth. They do not want to hear what God has to say. And therefore, what happens is that the world will hate you. I have so much more to say. Because there's one thing we must do. Just one. And next week I'll tell you what that is. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the truth of your word. We pray, Lord, for Christ Community Church, for all of us, Lord, that we'd realize the importance of your word, how it permeates every aspect, not just of our ministry on Sundays, but through every man and woman throughout the rest of the week. That your word is everything to us. Oh, Lord God, please do such a great and mighty work in your people through your word that the world will see us and know that we have been with the living God. Lord, we want to reach the world but we know that we cannot reflect the ways of the world. We have to be uniquely and distinctly different. Not for difference sake. Just because we are devoted solely to you. Oh Lord. Help us not to be deceived by the deceptive powers of the evil one to be led astray from the purity and devotion to our Christ. May we stand strong, standing bold, and never backing down from the only truth there is, the revelation of the living God. In Jesus' name, amen.